0: Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: From the Financial Times in London, I'm Lucy Hornby, and this is FT Investigations. By May of 2015, Li Hejun, a little-known Chinese businessman, had shot to the top of China's rich list. His Hanergy Solar Group was worth almost $40 billion, making it bigger than Twitter or Tesla, and also more valuable than all other solar companies in the world combined. In this second episode of our Hanergy series, I'm going to relate how Mr. Lee's solar empire came crashing down. I'm telling the story with my colleagues Cynthia Omurku and Miles Johnson.
2: To recap, the Financial Times ran a series of stories raising questions about the business model of Hanergy and its Hong Kong listed subsidiary, Hanergy Thin Film. It was reporting huge profitability whilst its rivals were losing money, and it was hard to find evidence that people were buying its solar panels.
1: When we looked at its accounts, it was immediately clear that almost all of Hanergy Thin Film's sales were being made to its parent company in mainland China. And when we got a hold of the Chinese accounts for the parents' factories, we saw that they were making very few sales, raising the question of how Hanergy would be able to pay its subsidiary for all the equipment it was buying. Cynthia takes up the story.
3: Hanergy Thin Films' shares just kept rising. With all the questions hanging over the business and how it was making money, we just couldn't understand who was buying the shares in Hong Kong. We already knew that Mr. Li was taking on large amounts of debt to fund his bet on solar energy. He owned a dam in China, which he had pledged as collateral for loans. And he was also borrowing through other high-interest peer-to-peer lending sites.
1: To understand Hanergy, you have to understand something about Chinese private entrepreneurs. They share some similarities. They load up on debt, they pledge shares as collateral, and they love to use British Virgin Island holding companies. But to me, one of the most puzzling things about the Hanergy structure was why Mr. Li was borrowing money at such high interest rates in China's shadow market.
3: I began looking into the British Virgin Islands companies following the paper trail, and some of the key subsidiaries of Hanergy's mainland company were registered there. The records I pulled revealed that Li Hejun had taken millions of dollars of loans from various financial institutions, and from another very odd offshore company called Sheen Vision, which didn't have a public record footprint at all. In turn, he offered billions of Hanergy thin film shares as collateral. At this
1: point, we could at least establish that Mr. Lee had borrowed large amounts of money backed by the value of his shares and would have a very strong incentive for their value not to fall. But even after we raised the question about where all the profits were coming from, the stock continued to rise. We decided to look more closely at the share price and what was driving the gains.
2: I went to Gavin Jackson, who was then a data journalist at the FT, and I asked, could we set ourselves the task of analysing the share trading data of Hanagi Thin Film statistically to try and look for any patterns in the data according to every single recorded buy and sell order in Hanagi shares over two years? So this was millions of pieces of individual data. And in the end, you know, we got hold of the data and we created the biggest database that the FT had ever analysed. What we found was very surprising. After Gavin ran the numbers and ran and ran the numbers, we discovered that there was a very strange recurring pattern in the distribution of the share price gains of Hanergy Thinfilm. Hanergy Thinfilm shares just kept on going up very, very sharply at the end of every trading day.
1: Meanwhile, they fell during the rest of the day, right?
2: Exactly. So over a two-year period, if you had bought shares in the company in the morning and sold them just before the close, you'd have actually lost money, even though the shares had risen several hundred percent over that period. But if you'd bought just 10 minutes before the close and then sold, you would have made a very, very large amount of money.
3: We were very keen to make sure we had not made any errors in our analysis or were using a faulty methodology. So we spoke to several leading experts in share price manipulation and all of them said it was statistically impossible that the jump at the end of the day would have happened randomly.
2: Rajesh Agarwal, professor of finance at Northeastern University in Boston, was the most blunt about the data. He said, to quote him, This is consistent with the stock price having been systematically manipulated over the past couple of years. This pattern of large price increases during the last 10 minutes of trade is extremely unlikely to have occurred randomly. Hanergy's astonishing rise continued. It had begun talking about using its panels to make the world's first fully solar-powered car, something that had never been done before, and also launched a chain of stores in China to sell its technology to home consumers. But then, one morning in May, everything changed.
1: Seemingly out of nowhere, on the day of Hanergy Thin Film's annual general meeting, its shares began to collapse. Mr. Lee was off giving a speech in Beijing. Mr. Dai, his second-in-command, took a phone call shortly after the AGM began and didn't come back until the meeting was over. In the space of that half-hour of trading in Hong Kong, Mr. Lee's personal wealth on paper dropped by $10 billion. Then the stock was suspended. Soon afterwards, Mr. Lee appeared in public to deny rumours that his company was being investigated by the Hong Kong stock market regulator. In response, the regulator took the rare step of confirming the investigation.
2: Since the collapse, Hanagi shares have been trading in the private market at a price close to zero. All of the paper wealth that Mr. Lee built up so quickly has evaporated. The company has been forced to lay off a large number of employees and several senior executives have left. Mr. Lee blames the company's misfortune on short sellers, those investors who seek to profit when shares fall in value. But Hanerji's share price collapse and suspension came just before a brutal correction in China's stock markets. Could its collapse represent the canary in the coal mine? I put that question to George Magnus, associate at Oxford University's China Centre and a senior economic advisor to UBS.
0: Well, it certainly could be because it represents a part of a bigger narrative which is about overcapacity – and over-indebtedness in the Chinese company sector. So if you look at industries such as steel, basic materials, power generation, mining, especially coal mining, even industries like chemicals and tobacco, you see a swathe of overproduction, of overcapacity. The capacity utilization rate in many Chinese industries now is running at about 70% which is about as low as it's been since China joined the World Trade Organization many years ago. With that overcapacity, a lot of borrowing has taken place. So non-financial company debt in China has grown very rapidly from about 100% of GDP before the financial crisis to last year, about 163% of GDP. And a lot of that growth in non-financial corporate debt has happened in the last five years in fact, such is China's penchant for credit at the moment, that a lot of new credit is being created in order to help distressed borrowers meet their debt service obligations and interest payments. So solar panels and the solar industry may have been a case in point, but actually it does have much, much wider implications.
2: Mr. Lee's spectacular rise and his brutal fall to earth serves as a warning to investors about the way some business is done in markets like China and Hong Kong where investors may not see what's going on behind the scenes. And for Chinese business in general, it shows the risks of relying on debt to expand as quickly as possible.
1: Hanergy may be one of the biggest stock market collapses in Asia, but it's unlikely to be the last.
2: This podcast was produced by Fiona Simon. The music was by David Sapper.